We're full of shit in California, eating avocado toast. We're full of shit in California, where we think that we're the most. We're full of shit in California, Colorado don't exist. When our superiority is challenged, we all get really pissed. Alright, there we go. Welcome back to the Nicholas Comics Q&A. It's been a spicy holiday season. Uh, I got banned from Reddit this morning. Reddit script present to me. No comics. Uh, after a relatively productive week. Great memes this week. Some real nice memes. I've uh, expanded things, developed things a bit. Yeah, banned. My mic does click a little bit. That it does. Anyhow, uh, I got here Nicholas's Camp 7. Anything new on there? No. Yeah, banned this morning for a. Uh, Posting what Reddit considers personal information. I guess they don't know the difference between personal and public information, which is kind of important if you're one of the biggest websites on the on the uh, net. But you know, I hope uh, Reddit hires some competent people soon who understand the difference between doxing and consensual sharing of information. Uh, that would really help them out in the long run. That said, this week was also the week I released my review Black Christmas, both the 1974 original and uh, the 2019 remake, and tore them to shreds, talked about why they're hot garbage, uh, why nobody should consider them good Christmas movies or good horror movies or anything. Um, and a, a lot of fellas tend to say that I, I like things that are old just because they're old. That's not true. I like things that are old if they're good. If something is old and bad, Black Christmas, uh, I don't like it. So, there's that. But yeah, Black Christmas is one of the most mind-boggling productions I think I've ever seen. I saw it, I saw it in the movie theater. Uh, straight through. It's my first and last time I'll ever watch it. But uh, I, I, think, uh, I think I can say, without a doubt, that Black Christmas is one of the weakest horror movies of the 70s. Uh, you know, and honestly, I'm not surprised Bob Clark directed it, you know. There's a lot of directorial similarities between Black Christmas and A Christmas Story, but it works with A Christmas Story because that's a comedy. But Black Christmas is just one of the weakest movies I think I've ever seen. The ending is bad. I, 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 I was kind of going along with it until like the last half hour. When the entire script and everything just falls apart. Uh, that said, we got we got Kipion, who's a big fan of the 1974 Black Christmas. Uh, is there anything you've got to say about it? Like, why do you find it such an appealing movie, such an appealing uh, classic? Okay, 
let me clar clarify. I never said I was a fan of it. I said that apparently a lot of horror fans considered iconic that it was one of the pioneers of the slasher franchise, or at least. But a, it's not. Uh, it gets trash cinema is worse. Like there's some trash cinema movies that are like fun because they're cheesy, but Black Christmas is it takes itself so seriously. It's so heavy-handed. It doesn't even manage to be. It doesn't even manage to be exploitative in a fun way. It's just exploitative and lame. Plenty of horror fans might might look at this and be like, "Oh shit, th this movie is doing some new shit," but it's not. Uh, there's nothing in this film that's that's innovative or, or technologically advancing. Uh, in, in fact, the in twist is just verbatim rip off of an urban legend that everyone's heard a hundred times so as far as as far as revolutionary goes uh black christmas does absolutely not cut it there's nothing revolutionary about the film that about it except hardcore horror fans i guess who think oh shit i found this lost hidden gym but they have movies Uh, there's a lot to be said about the movie. It's a fascinating movie, uh, in part because it it it's a good example of a 1970s horror movie that that's actually bad, which is hard to pull off. My mic is clicking. My mic sure is clicking. Uh, got a hundred dollars. Might might buy a new mic. That might be good. I hear blue yetis are good. Uh, but yeah, that's why there should be more fellows on here. Yeah. Uh, Black Christmas is a bad movie. Uh, it's not good. He said about it. It, it is significant in, uh, in horror history. It's certainly not, uh, it, it, not in a good way. It's significant is a horror movie that fails, a Christmas movie that fails. Uh, 1974 is the same year Texas Chainsaw Massacre came out, which is pretty crazy to think about, because that's, that's, that's a good movie. And I, I'd say Texas Chainsaw Massacre does more uh, for the slasher genre than uh, Black Christmas. Yeah, 1974... October 11th, 1974, with Black Christmas, wins a Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, so Texas Chainsaw Massacre comes out in 1974, October 11th. So same... Same, uh, at the same day, yeah, they're released on the same day. That's pretty crazy. Uh, because one of them is like really good and and fun and uh, iconic, and the other one is hot garbage. So, coming out on exactly the same day, October 11th, 1974, I can definitely see why. 
Black Christmas was forgotten about almost instantly because Texas Chainsaw came out. Yeah, it didn't even release during the Christmas season, which is just a, a bad PR move. But, uh, you know, it, it is a, a horror movie, so it can release on October 11th. But it just happened to be released the exact same day as Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But just because a horror movie comes out before Halloween doesn't mean Halloween isn't impactful. Halloween is the Halloween is the original, you know. It's the good stuff. Uh, Black Christmas, it's not. It, it's it doesn't even come close to a predecessor because it's not directed by John Carpenter. It's directed by Flippin' Bob Clark, the Christmas Story guy. So it's not a good horror movie. Any horror fan who says that it, it it was important in the slasher genre or anything doesn't know anything about how what a good movie is. The, the, the release date is insignificant. Uh, like Psycho, for instance, holds up really well. And Psycho came out all the way back in the 60s. Uh, and it's the original slasher movie. I consider it as such. Everyone does. It's the genesis point. Yeah, Psycho's the true pioneer. This is in part due to the fact that Anthony Perkins, as Norman Bates, brings that meat to the table. He brings he brings that bacon because Anthony Perkins is good at what he does. And Norman Bates is a well-developed and fun and interesting character with a cool psyche. The, the villain in Black Christmas has an entire Wikipedia page. Uh, oh, of the eye, which is the only time any any part of him besides, I guess, his hands are seen in the entire movie, says, possibly Albert J. Dunk. This villain is so pathetic and ill-defined that they don't even know who the, whose eye it is. Uh, they don't even know. And the whole page goes into this long, elaborate speculation as to who he is and what his motivations are, what his psyche is. None of this is in the movie. Uh, in the movie, he pants, he sings a baby-bunting nursery rhyme, and he kills women, and that's it. That's the extent of his character. Uh, it's He is one of... He, he, he is... He is small potatoes in the slasher game you, you got the you know, freaking michael myers you got jason Voorhees. billy is billy is does not even come close and to say that he is one of the greatest horror characters of all time is an insult to writers who actually put thought and effort into their characters and try to make them interesting and fun uh also the ending makes no sense because in the end the boyfriend's arrested even though they have no evidence that the boyfriend did it all they have is oh he was at the sorority house he gets dragged off to jail and billy escapes scot-free and at the end he's still up in the attic which just makes no sense nobody can live in an attic indefinitely especially on a college campus uh, you know, with like ten women downstairs, that that that's that's so implausible. In Psycho, 
Norman kills Arbogast, which is okay. You know, he kills one cop. And then at the end, he goes to jail. He goes to the insane asylum because he's insane. He's not that good at covering his tracks, all things considered. Uh, that That's a plot that actually makes sense. Uh, and everything falls into a logical progression of events. With Black Christmas, it just goes off the rails. Nothing any of the characters do make any sense. The characters are all so stupid you can't identify with them. And uh, just overall, just overall an awful movie. And uh, I, I could, it's crazy that it was released on the same day as Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is a really good movie where the characters are likable, well-developed, and uh, everything they, every choice they do, for the most part, makes a kind of sense. Uh, yeah, I watched uh, I watched Black Christmas like one time several years ago, and I remember almost nothing about it. So that just shows how memorable it really is. Right, it's a very forgettable movie, and that's because it's one of the most generic slasher movies ever made. Uh, is because the the villain has no memorable characteristics, the the protagonists have no memorable characteristics. All we know is that there's some women, they're getting killed. And that's it. It's a bland, forgettable movie. Uh, Black Christmas says the the page for this Billy guy. He's never called Billy in the movie, so I have no idea where this comes from. Uh, it says, unlike later slasher film antagonists, the character's true identity and motivations were intentionally omitted from the 1974 film, which the filmmakers felt made him more frightening. Several critics and art historians have noted that by leaving the character enigmatic, it allowed the audience to place their own fears onto the character, forming their own ideas about him and his motivations. Guess what? That's not how writing works. You can't expect the audience to, to imagine what Billy wants. You have to tell the audience what Billy wants, or Billy isn't interesting. He's just hands. I don't know. Like it says, unlike later slasher film antagonists, Norman Bates is is well developed. He's so good. Uh, every scene Anthony Perkins is in, he brings he brings the presence to the screen. Norman Bates is so epic, and he and he can definitely stand up to like Freddy Krueger and Chucky and whatever uh, in terms of coolness. Yeah, Bill, Billy is not is not anything. He's small potatoes. Anyone who cites Billy as as this incredible character just doesn't know what an incredible character is. He has no defining he has no defining feet. He doesn't even have a mask. He's just some guy. He's just some guy who comes in off the street. Yeah, even Michael Myers has presence and personality because he's on camera sometimes. Billy's never even on camera. All you ever see is his eye for like a second. And uh, and that's it. You see Michael Myers at the end of the hallway and he starts walking after Jamie Lee Curtis. That's exciting because he's on camera and you know he's there. And he's ha he has a mask, but, but you see him. So you understand that there's a threat. With Billy... He's not even a threat. He's not Michael Myers. He doesn't have any reputation as this superhuman demon who's going to rip your skull out or anything. He's just some rando 
who comes in off the street and 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 hides up in the attic for months without anyone noticing. And the policeman can call the the sorority girl up and say, "Oh shit, he's upstairs." Guess what? You thought he was outside, but he's actually inside. Uh, this movie, of course, is ripped off an urban legend, which is something I don't like. I think urban legends, for the most part, are very hackneyed. In fact, I have an entire book of urban legends. I believe it's the entire collection of, uh, of folklore. And uh, I think the newest one, they're very old, uh, and they're all in the public domain. Uh, the most up-to-date one involves blackberries and palm pilots, so we're talking early 2002-2003 here. I don't know if there's any urban legends since then, because the thing about an urban legend is, after enough circulation, it becomes boring and old, and anyone who tells it around a campfire will get laughed at because, uh, because it's cliché. Uh, so, many, so many urban legends cliche and boring and uh anyone who hopes to make for a career in horror would be better off just inventing their own stuff there's uh there's there's a movie called urban legends and of course another another series it takes heavily from urban legends because they're in the public domain and they're easy to rip off is uh scary stories to tell in the dark i did a review on that one uh Gosh, 1998. And there's two sequels. And there's a reboot coming up in February. Announced in February 2020. So, that's exciting. But, uh, gosh. The film depicts various urban legends. Which are featured as murder sequences and others that are merely referenced or discussed in passing. Michelle is murdered by a killer in the back seat. Coverage of Michelle's murder in the university newspaper is covered up by the dean. They attempt to invoke Bloody Mary, pop rocks and soda, hanging from the tree, he headlights turned off. Uh, aren't you glad you didn't turn on the light? Ankles slashed. Love Roller Coaster, Dog in the Microwave, Kidney Heist, so lame. Uh, they should really give it a rest and come up with their own stuff. And that's a problem with Black Christmas. The movie, any, any movie that tries to make urban legends scary uh, will end up losing big because urban legends rely on a very specific series of events in order for the payoff to work. For instance, there's one urban legend. Well, they're all they're all very specific, but there's one urban legend uh, which deals with uh, there's so many. There's one urban legend which deals with a, a group of friends going out on the town. They they think it's funny to pretend like a turkey neck is a penis, and then it just so happens that. Right as the wife gets home, she sees the dog eating the turkey neck, which is sticking out of his pants or something like that. Uh, and, and the idea being that a very specific sequence of events would need to progress 
in order for the punchline to work. Uh, the trouble is that's not how things work in real life. For instance, if there's a razor blade in an apple, it'll leave a mark on the apple because razor blades aren't atomically thin. Uh, they do leave marks on things, and people would notice. The same goes for heroin in the payphone slot. There, there are some genuinely insanely specific urban legends. One of them deals with uh, a student at Yale citing uh, an archaic rule in the the manual that says that he gets to be provided with cakes and ale during his test, and then the the proctor comes back and says, you've got to pay me because that's how the book says it, or something along those lines. Urban legends are not the way to go if you hope to create uh, a story that sticks in the viewer's mind, because odds are everyone's heard them a million times before. And not only that, they're not very believable. There are some cases in which urban legends are worked into various works of fiction in, 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 in mildly interesting ways. For instance, the Twilight Zone episode, Perchance to Dream, references the story about the killer in the back seat. And it's all right because there isn't a killer in the back seat. That's never happened and it's stupid and, and, and wouldn't work because back seats aren't magical invisibility compartments. Uh, but even so, it's it's it, it, it's worked into the plot pretty well, and uh, the cinematography on that one is great. But the main trouble with uh, Black Christmas is that it takes the the classic story about the babysitter and the guy upstairs. He's the upstairs guy. And, oh, I thought the phone call was coming from somewhere else, but it's coming from in here. Uh, and it, 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 it takes it one step further by asserting that not only is, is the killer upstairs and managed to sneak into the sorority house without anyone noticing, uh, he also has been up there for a month. With, with the plastic-wrapped corpse, the plastic-wrapped corpse of one of the sorority girls, and also the corpse of their house mother, who's, who's this, this drunk. And she's just been rotting up there for months. Nobody smells these two decomposing bodies up there, which they would. Decomposing bodies, for gosh sakes. Uh, and, and no one wonders where the house mother is or tries to find her. Like, you know, she's an employee of the college. Uh... I, I, I forgot entirely about her. Her character was so unnote. But at the end, there's this, you know, the, they, they pull the bodies out. It's revealed that they still haven't found the plastic wrapped corpse or the house mother. And the killer has gotten away scot free because all the blame has been directed on the boyfriend who just happened to be outside at the time. Trying, trying to come in. And the film acts as if it's this crazy twist that it wasn't the boyfriend. When everything said up to that point, it's pretty clear that it wasn't the boyfriend. The boyfriend was a nice guy and didn't sound anything like Billy. So, one of the, dis the most disappointing movies. It creates this immense setup 
and then there's no payoff. There, there's nothing revealed. No, nothing is, no expectations are subverted. It is just what it looks like from the beginning. A crazy guy, and he kills women, and he makes obscene phone calls, and he gets away with it. And some warrants say that this is a feminist horror movie, which is one of the stupidest takes I've ever heard. It's not a feminist horror movie. Uh, God. Critical response. During its initial release, the film had garnered mixed reviews. A.H. Weiler of the New York Times called it a whodunit that raises the question as to why it was made. Variety called the film a bloody, senseless kill-for-kicks feature that exploits unnecessary violence in a university sorority house operated by an implausibly alcoholic ex-hoofer. Its slow-paced, murky tale involves an obscene telephone caller who apparently delights in killing the girls off one by one, even the hapless house mother. Gene Siskel gives it 1.5 stars out of 4 and calls it a routine shocker. Again, the word routine, meaning that at the time, there was nothing there was nothing exceptional about Black Christmas. These kinds of movies came out all the time, and Black Christmas was not a good one. Uh, Gene Siskel says it's notable only for indicating the kind of junk roles that talented actresses are forced to play in the movies. Uh, Kevin Thomas from the Los Angeles Times says, Before it maddeningly overreaches in a gratuitously evasive ending, Black Christmas is a smart, stylish, Canadian-made little horror picture that is completely diverting. It may well be that its makers simply couldn't figure out how to end it. And I would kind of agree with that. Before the last 30 minutes when he says, look, the killer is upstairs. The cinematography is okay. The acting isn't exceptional. Nothing about the script or the soundtrack or anything is exceptional. It's the same as every as every uh, shocker or whatever Gene Siskel calls it that was put out at the time. Uh, but yeah, my guess is that Bob Clark and his buddies just couldn't figure out how to end the thing. They they themselves into a hole, and at the end they're they're just like, how do we end this? Oh, killer gets away. And the the trouble is when you have a movie that's seventy percent an okay movie and thirty percent absolute garbage. Uh, what matters to viewers is the ending. The ending made no sense, and it really sucks. And then it says, contemporary reviews have been more positive. And that's because nowadays people assume that anything made in the 70s was good, which it's not. Uh, the website's critics' consensus reads, the rare slasher with enough intelligence to wind up the tension between bloody outbursts Black Christmas offers fiendishly enjoyable holiday viewing for genre fans. I guess, you know, some people don't understand that back in the 70s, these kinds of movies were a dime. And you can remember Black Christmas is because it was made by Bob Clark. Uh, 65 out of 171%. That's way too high. A Black Christmas is not a good movie. 
Heidi Martinuzzi of Film Threat calls the film innovative and, pra and praised Olivia Hussey and Margot Kidder. TV Guide says, although strictly standard fare, the material is elevated somewhat through Clark's skillful handling of such plot devices as obscene phone calls from the killer to the girls via the upstairs phone, and a nicely handled twist ending, which provides a genuine shock. There is no twist ending. The, the movie ends exactly how you'd think the movie would end if someone who didn't know how to write wrote it, which is that the killer gets away, someone who didn't murder is, is held responsible for the murders, and uh, they still don't find the decomposing bodies up in the attic. So there's no genuine shock at the end. There's just complete disappointment because nothing happened and you sat through two hours of nothing. Black Christmas eventually gained a cult following and is notable for being one of the earliest slasher films. It went on to inspire other slasher films, the biggest one of all being John Carpenter's Halloween, which was apparently inspired by Clark suggesting what a Black Christmas sequel would be like. I don't think so. I think that's just Bob Clark trying to take credit for what John Carpenter did. There's nothing special about a horror movie set on Halloween. It makes it makes sense. And that's why everyone likes Halloween and nobody likes Black Christmas. Which isn't to say you can't do a good Christmas horror movie, but Black Christmas isn't it. There's Krampus. I saw Krampus. It was it was pretty chill. It was pretty good. Krampus was was an okay Christmas horror movie. Original concept, fun gimmicks. Uh, Black Christmas isn't that. Uh, what I, gosh, one of the earliest slasher films. Black Christmas has been included in multiple lists in various media outlets as one of the greatest horror films ever made. The film ranked number 87 on Bravo's The 100 Scariest Movie Moments. It was ranked at number 67 in IndieWire's The 100 Best Horror Movies of All Time. 67 is way too high. It's entry stating, The plot sounds formulaic, but Black Christmas remains timeless thanks to its terrifying and elusive killer, Billy, whose backstory is never revealed as well as a foreboding ending that doesn't offer much hope for the film's final girl, uh, which is just the stupidest thing. Like, why should I care? She's not even a character. None of the main characters are characters. They're just stereotypical, vulgar sorority girls, and none of them are interesting or notable in any way. None of them have complex backstories, uh, one of their fathers shows up and he's like, hey, where's my daughter? And and uh, the university's like, yeah, we don't know. They don't notice her decomposing plastic wrap corpse up in the attic. No sense. And then uh, about halfway through, he just leaves. He's just like, my daughter is missing, but it is Christmas. So I better just go home and get out of here and avoid the holiday rush. And he just disappears. He, j he just leaves. Makes no sense. There's one point in there at which, like, they all go to the park or something, and uh, 
they try and find a corpse. Uh, which I think is completely unrelated uh, to any of that, to any anything that's going on at the Sororitas. But they just try and find this corpse, and they don't notice the two corpses up in their own attic. I, I get that an attic is you know supposed to be a a secluded spot, but it's not like it's not like a hidden room or anything. There's a door leading up to it that everybody knows about. And also, it's Christmas, so you'd think they'd be going up there to get some ornaments or some lights or something down, some kind of decorations, but none of them ever do. They're just like, like what? let's not search the entire house. Uh, the sorority house isn't, like, huge or anything. It, it's, it's a modest house. But, yeah, it, it's... It's not, it's not, it, it's not even remotely good. Clark felt that college and high school students had not been depicted with any sense of reality in American film, and that he intended to capture the astuteness of young adults. College students, even in 1974, are astute people. They're not fools. It's not all bikinis, beach blankets, and bingo. And meanwhile, you have Margot Kidder, talking for like two minutes straight about turtle sex and how slow they get it on, which, you know, that's not astute. It's just stupid. It's lame. Uh, I don't need to hear for two minutes about her describing turtles having slow sex. I get it. Turtles have slow sex. It's just such a needless detail. And uh, I wonder what some, some movie like a good movie like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre would be like if every scene was just filled with pointless dialogue that's completely unrelated to the plot. Like in the beginning, for instance, there's a lot of foreshadowing. They're driving around in the van and uh, they're discussing the meat industry, which makes sense because the whole the whole point of the movie is that Leatherface and his and his uh, family is you know they're cannibals. So it makes sense for them to be talking about the meat industry at first. It sets up what's to come. Uh, but in Black Christmas, it's just two hours of people talking about unrelated nonsense. There's no central theme to the film. Uh, some people say it's about college life. Some people say it's a feminist movie. Be people try to put their own academic take on it. But the sad truth is that you can't put an academic take on such a poorly defined film. A film that doesn't know what it wants to be. Uh... pretty crazy and it's canadian uh, but that doesn't mean it's bad you know there's plenty of good canadian horror movies for the american release warner bros initially changed the title to silent night evil night worried that the original title would mislead audiences into believing the film was a black exploitation movie that's pretty funny there's silent night deadly night which is a completely different uh, a completely different Christmas horror movie, which, from what I hear, is actually actually okay, and it actually looks better. It's about a, a, San, a, a guy in a Santa costume who, you know, goes crazy and uh, kills people. And, you know, that's actually Christmas-related, so it actually makes sense. 
But Black Christmas is just some guy. It's just some guy. It's it's not a Santa. It's not a it's not an elf or anything. It's just some random guy. Uh, you learn nothing about. There's a gosh. It's got five awards, which is too much for such cinematic trash. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. I hear Silent Night, Deadly Night is real good. There's also Silent Night, Bloody Night. So many different ones. I hear Silent Night, Deadly Night is pretty good. But Black Christmas is nowhere near that. Uh... Apparently, the 2006 version is an origin story to this Billy character, which is supposed to make us care about the events of the first movie. But that, that's a lame excuse. To get me to care about your horror character, you gotta have an interesting backstory to the first movie. Uh, you can't just have in the remake be an origin story. And in the first one, he's just a cardboard slate. Like even in Friday the 13th, even though Jason Voorhees isn't in, in most of it, uh, you know, it still explained who he is and what his deal is. Uh, apparently, Billy, Billy has severe jaundice, which is interesting. There's one of the sororas named jaundice inspired by Black Christmas when I saw it in 2018 that I felt it was necessary to write College Buddies 4, which is uh, pretty much a shot-for-shot -shot parody. It's kind of underrated. I, I'm glad I saw Black Christmas because it was so ridiculous I made a comic out of it. But other than that, it's not a good movie. And to think that that some people defended as a catalyst of the genre is not true. Uh, there were movies like this coming out all the time in 1974. A good example would be the you know Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is probably just as influential as Halloween. It's a good movie. I've seen it. Classic. It and Leatherface is so effing cool. Leatherface is a good character, and he doesn't even talk. But he has more characterization than Billy, who does talk, but just with obscene phone calls. Uh, but yeah, there's nothing innovative about Black Christmas. Movies back then, in the 74, were a dime a dozen, with women getting killed left and right, and crazy, crazy psychopaths and everything, because everyone wanted to be psychopaths came out it just so happens that, that that's the reason why the the reviews written when it came out call it what it is stupid and the reviews later on down the line are like this this is an underrated movie i i bet you forgot about this one but it's really good and uh, it's not good i recall when we saw the screening in uh 2018 the the fellows who was uh gave a little intro a little a little opener during uh, before it came on about five minutes, and he says, "This movie does not end how you think it'll end. It goes, it goes in a completely different direction how you think it'll go." 
And he was he was he was right on that. I thought it was going to have a plot, but it doesn't have a plot. There's nothing to keep the viewer invested in anything that goes on. Uh, and and to claim that this has Corpenter-esque type tension is just so stupid. Uh, it it has zero tension. You can always tell when someone's about to be killed. You can always tell when someone's on the chopping block. And uh, it it boggles my mind that, that this is compared to Halloween. Uh, seriously, Bob Clark is not. Uh, he's not a horror director. He doesn't know how to do that. He made this weird. Uh, you know, he's behind Porky's, of course. So you know, of course, he's not going to be good horror. He made Porky's, but he did a. Uh, What's it called? This weird, this weird hybrid. Oh, he's behind Baby Geniuses, of course. Never would have guessed. Uh, he did a. Was it Children Shouldn't Play with Dead Thing? It's Children Shouldn't Play with Dead Things, and it's just this bizarre, uh, weird. It looks better than Black Christmas because he tries to be funny, and that kind of works. Porky's is not even a good, you know, it's so lame. But uh, Black Christmas is definitely the lamest of his filmography. He's behind Baby Geniuses. Makes sense. And, and Super Babies, Baby Geniuses too. Christmas Story is pretty. Cool. It's a pretty good. It's a pretty good fun holiday, holiday uh, comedy. It it succeeds at everything it tries to accomplish, which is to take the misplaced nostalgia for the '40s and say, you know, it wasn't that great. You know, you know, stuff stuff happened and it was crazy and oh man, and and most of the scenes are pretty iconic and fun. I can see why a Christmas story endures because it's a pretty funny movie. A lot of the jokes really land, but uh, it doesn't work. It doesn't work with uh, it doesn't work with Black Christmas. A Christmas Story is good. I, I like a Christmas. It's not my favorite uh, Christmas movie or anything, but it's 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 a competent movie. It's a perfectly competent movie that accomplishes what it sets out to do, and. Uh, it's pretty funny. There's some funny bits in there. I think Bob Clark is good when he tries to be funny. Uh, some of his stuff lands. Some just doesn't. And he's Canadian, and I, you know, in in Canada, they they're they're low on low on stuff. Not as low as in some like Britain, but you know. But wow, he directed. I, I never would have guessed that. Pretty crazy. Uh, but yeah, Christmas stories is pretty good. It's pretty. Uh, it, it it's it's interesting in a kind of Garrison Keillor sort of way. Uh, I I I'd argue it's funnier than Garrison Keillor. A lot of what Garrison Keillor does, but. Uh, but Black Christmas does not land. 
And you can definitely see the, the similarities between the two. Uh, they're very Bob Clark. You, you, you can see how one, one movie leads into another and how they have some, some common through lines. Uh, as far as directorial style, shot, shot composition, etc. Except one is a comedy, which Bob Clark is competent at, and one tries to be this heavy-handed, suspenseful, crazy, provocative movie uh, you know, and it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Uh, there's, there's some, there's some actually good Christmas horror movies out there. Black Christmas is not one of them. The, the poster is so lame. If this picture doesn't make your skin crawl, it's on too tight. I guess my skin's on too tight. I did not, I did not scream once during the movie. I never felt a sense of unease because Bob Clark isn't Hitchcock or Carpenter. He doesn't know how to build up the scares. And you don't even gotta be, you don't even gotta be Carpenter to make a good movie. Tech Chain Massacre, from what I hear, is one of the cheapest shot movies of all time. All they had to do is go into some dirt field in Texas and film there. And the result was interesting and fun because it hadn't been done before. It got it. It was the budget is eighty thousand to one hundred and forty thousand. You know, because it costs a lot to buy all those bones and whatnot, and rent out the gas station and whatnot. But you know, pretty cheap, all things considered. Because all you gotta do is go down Texas and. You know, find it, find a nice location, nice abandoned building, lots of those in Texas, and it makes thirty point nine million because Tobe Hooper knows how to make, he knows how to direct, he knows how to take something that hadn't been forever, and say, here's go, we're gonna have some fun cannibalism, yeah, this neat character, he's leather face, he's got a chainsaw, and he has such a presence. I like leather. Mechanic and he knows. Uh, but yeah, I just think that that uh, Black Christmas is called this revolutionary thing. Yeah, stupid Mike does click quite a bit. Yeah, Black Christmas is is a very bad movie. It's a real stinker. Uh. Silent Night, Deadly Night is pretty good. None of the uh, none of the kills in Black Christmas are Christmas themed. Uh, and what's more, like a lot of them don't even make any sense or weren't planned out. Everything in Psycho and Halloween makes so much sense, and one came before and one came after. And then there's Texas Chainsaw, which came out at the exact same time shown up in just about every way. Maybe it's a Canadian thing. Maybe it's that the Canadians want to claim, look, it's not just the Americans who have the the cool horror movies. We have Bob Clark with Black Christmas. Uh but that's not how it is. Uh, it's not a good it's not a good horror movie. There's better stuff from Canada. It says the film has since received retroactive recognition and has been regarded as one of the greatest horror films ever made. I don't think it had any influence on John Carpenter's Halloween. 
John Carpenter would have made Halloween whether Black Christmas existed or not, or he would have made something very similar because John Carpenter is a competent director and he doesn't need Black Christmas to exist uh, to make Halloween. Uh, it's not an original idea to make a horror movie during Halloween. It's Halloween. It makes sense to make a slasher movie during Halloween. It's, it's a little more uh, eccentric to put it during Christmas, but there are some examples of Christmas horror that are done really well. Just because Black Christmas came out four years before Halloween and quite a few years after Psycho does not mean it's influential or important or one of the first slasher movies. There's plenty, there's plenty of wannabe psychos. There's, Psycho was big. Everyone liked Psycho. Everyone went and saw Psycho. And then Bob Clark sees Psycho and he's like, I'm going to make the next Psycho. Uh, but it doesn't work because uh, he's not Alfred Hitchcock. 1960. Psycho comes out in 1960. So 14 years during which all kinds of knockoffs and tryhards came out and saying, look, we're going to have women get stabbed like in Psycho. But it doesn't work because none of them are Alfred Hitchcock or John Carpenter. That's a good point. Black Christmas does just take place at Christmas for no, at random. None of it is Christmassy. None of it's interesting. Uh, the first girl is covered up in plastic, which is kind of like she's like a present or so, like she's pl she's plastic wrapped or something. That doesn't even make any sense because. He doesn't, like, stab her and cover her face with plastic. He just covers her face with plastic. And that's supposed to kill her instantly. And uh, it just makes no sense. I believe I, I, I pointed this out in my review, but if you can if you can hold your breath for 20 seconds underwater, you can, you can hold your breath for 20 seconds in plastic. Uh, you know, it, it's not like she's a toddler. She's she's 22 years old or whatever. You know, she can she can hold her breath under the plastic and and fight this guy off. And I think that's something Black Christmas doesn't really understand is that, uh, you know, this is just some random guy. He's not Michael Myers. He's not Leatherface. He's not even that big. And he's certainly not deceptive like Norman. So uh, all they'd really have to do is toss him off or something, and they could easily beat him up. Black Christmas isn't a feminist movie like it says it is, so all the women are just dead meat. They just they just get slashed and hashed, and they die. It's so pathetic. It's 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 absolutely mind numbing. It it makes zero sense. Uh, in Psycho, you know, he gets away with killing one one woman because he lives in this out-of-the-way type, you know, this, this very secluded spot, you know, he lives out in the middle of nowhere. Bates Motel is, is a is a crazy out-of-the-way location. Same same with Texas Chainsaw. Black uh, Christmas takes place on a college campus, which is like one of the most organized and, you know, easy-to-track spots on the planet. And, uh, he kills like three women, four women. You know, he kills everyone except the except the one main character who survives. But she's just gonna get killed because Billy hasn't been caught. Uh, 
It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I saw the 2019 remake. And uh, Owen's even... I wouldn't say it's even worse. I'd say they're both both equally bad. They're both they're both spectacular yeah. failures. Yeah, I saw that recently. I thought it was uh, pretty bad for different reasons. It didn't even feel like a horror movie. It just felt like it was some kind of political message pretending to be a it movie. It felt like a horror movie, but it felt like an early 2000s horror movie. Like some kind of off-brand uh, Final Destination or something like that. It had it had all the staples of, of early two thousands type stuff. There's a very obscure uh, Canadian American horror film. I don't even believe it's really American. It's called Dead End. Oh, I saw that. I love that movie. Yeah, Dead End is pretty good. It has an original concept. It's a lot like a Twilight Zone episode. It, it, yeah, it, I love I love movies that are like Twilight Zone episodes. That it has a very great. original premise. It, it's Thank a good, you. it's a good deal, and uh, that's a good example of some good, some good foreign type horror. It's actually French. Oh yeah. You wouldn't yeah, know it because all the characters are very Americanish. It has one of the actors from Twin Peaks in it. I think it might have been trying to reference Twin Peaks. If it did, I wouldn't notice, but uh, it definitely has a very, a very Twilight Zone-esque concept. The road that goes on forever. I don't think that'd been done before. That's a fantastic movie, man. It's creepy. It's a good premise. It's all a good premise. All the creepy scenes work. Uh, it makes you think. It ends up like, you know, a thought-provoking Twilight Zone episode. Yeah, it's a good movie. It's uh, even a Christmas movie. And I've never heard Dead End get as much praise as Black Christmas, and it deserves a lot more praise because it's a good, it's a good movie. Uh, Black Christmas does not even come close. To, to like there's there's some there are some feminist horror movies from the 70s uh texas chainsaw massacre you know main character lives and it's implied that she's gonna leave and leatherface won't do anything anymore because he's swaving his chainsaw around in the middle of the street that's a nice ending you know one character lives uh but in black christmas the killer just gets away scot-free and uh and and the police they don't even they don't even think twice about just arresting the boyfriend who just happens to be walking around the basement at, at the time that they get there they just take him in there's you know they could do a dna or they didn't have dna at that point but they don't have any evidence to tie him to any of the murders he's just he's just a boyfriend and they they convict him and it's implied that that uh, he, he goes to jail. Then the end it, it ends with the shot of the plastic wrapped corpse, which is still up there. The the police still haven't smelled this one month old decomposing corpse. Uh, Billy sings his baby bunting nursery rhyme, and then camera zooms out. It's supposed to be this this intense revelation, like. Oh, it wasn't the boyfriend. Of course it wasn't the boyfriend. 
uh, it was it was some random guy who comes up off the street. He climbs this ladder that's just on the side of the sorority house for no reason, or maybe it's like a a trellis fence or something. He just breaks in, and you know you gotta wonder like do, when he has to use the bathroom or something, does he leave the attic, go to a gas station or something, take his shit there? And then walk all the way back in the sub-zero temperatures back to the sorority house and climb up back into the attic. Or does he go downstairs and take a shit there and he could he could risk, you know, getting caught in the act? Or does he just shit in the attic the whole time? In which case, there'd be even more of a giant odor in addition to two decomposing bodies up there coming down from the attic. And the same thing goes for how he acquires his food. Uh, and considering that he's lived in an attic for an entire month, I don't know how he how he's so strong. He he could easily be overpowered. He's a frail ninety pound weakling. Uh, a black Christmas isn't scary because when you have when you have a poorly defined antagonist. There's no stakes. And when the protagonists are also weak and lame, you don't care about them dying, and you don't care about the killer, and you don't care about any of it because none of them make good choices. None of them are interesting. Uh, it's, it's a movie where everyone, everyone fails in every, every conceivable department. There's a lot of there's a lot of movies where women get killed. There's nothing there's nothing special about that. Psycho starts it off. There's a film called I Saw What You Did, which has a Joan Crawford. It's really good. It's an underrated movie, and it also deals with phones. It's a I believe a William Castle movie. All those are pretty pretty good. They're, they're cheesy in a sort of way, but they're also they're also pretty good. They're also pretty well directed. William Castle is a better director than Bob Clark, at least when it comes to horror. Even though a lot of his movies are cheesy, you gotta say, House on Haunted Hill is a good movie, as is The Tingler. The Tingler's fun. Uh, but yeah, it deals with these, these two teenagers who make prank calls, and then it turns out they accidentally call this crazy guy Joan Crawford's in it. It's a good movie. It's 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 underrated. Came out in a nineteen sixty five, so nine years before Black Christmas. Uh, it's really good. So it's a good movie, but uh, Black Christmas did nothing innovative. It's not an innovative movie, and uh, it's it's a waste of Margot Kidder, who's actually pretty good as Lois Lane in Superman. Her character is just so weak, barb or whatnot. Uh, I can't remember one thing about any of the other uh, characters because they're just so they're just so one note and forgettable. With uh, something like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where you're dealing with a group of you know quite a few, quite a few characters. I, I believe there's five. You've got to you've got to ensure that every one of them has you know some kind of some kind of discernible characteristic. And uh, Tobe Hooper really manages to pull that off. I can tell all the characters in, che in Texas Chainsaw Massacre apart. They're all very, they're all very notable and interesting. 
And there's only a... One, two, three, four, five. Yeah, there's only like 10 characters in a Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but they all have some very nice chemistry. They'll play off each other really well. Texas Chainsaw Massacre knows how to do uh, quite a few characters interacting, but in an interesting way. I can't remember one thing about any of the characters from uh, Black Christmas, except there's a lot of them, and they're all dead by the end. But I saw the 28 the 2019 remake it starts off with the opener the, the opening scene pre-credits which is a staple of horror movies ever since uh, scream with drew barrymore she's cooking popcorn the phone rings and that's a more well-executed scene than uh, the entirety of black christmas and takes place in only like five minutes i thought the opening scene was like one of the only competent things about that movie it tricked me into thinking it was going to be a good christmas horror movie yeah, but I went into Black Christmas 2019 knowing that it came out of a franchise that was fundamentally broken. I knew Black Christmas 2019 was going to be equally abysmal, especially since it's been produced by Blumhouse, okay. uh, who over the 2010s have just produced some of the most vile schlock. I knew it was going to be an incompetent film. I wondered in what kind of way it was going to be incompetent, and it did not surprise me. It did surprise me that it, it chose to take such a different direction from its predecessor. I thought it was just going to be a standard remake, but it goes entirely off the rails because Jason Blum isn't a good director either. The marketing was awful. But nonetheless, I didn't feel bad about paying to see it. It was It was... It was uh, it, it was it was a unique viewing experience because I I got to see both of them on the big screen a year apart, so that was pretty interesting. Yeah, that one, the new twenty nineteen one, it was actually more overtly feminist than the first one. It tries too hard. It doesn't understand that there's plenty of good feminist horror movies out there. Uh, for instance, the case could be made that Halloween is pretty progressive. Laurie Strode's a classic character. Jamie Lee Curtis knows what's up, you know, and she's alive at the end. Uh, Michael Myers escapes, which sets up a sequel, which is, you know, kind of disappointing. But that's okay, because the protagonist is still alive at the end. She doesn't die. And, uh, and now she's in Halloween, the new one, which... I hear was uh, was an absolute blast, and I wouldn't be surprised. You know, Jamie oh, Lee yeah, Curtis, definitely. Jamie Lee Curtis returning for Halloween, the new one, is uh, is pretty oh, good because for, for a while, Halloween, Halloween was in the ditch. There's a lot of there's a lot of franchises which were you know, attempted to be rebooted in the uh, 2000s, but with the uh, Halloween Resurrection, uh, Scream Five and Four, the new Blair Witch, the new uh, the new Friday the 13th, it seems now that, that studios understand that you have to have some nuance and finesse to pull off a good a good franchise reboot. But Black Christmas, from the beginning, was, was fighting a, an uphill battle because it was trying to reboot a franchise that never really existed to begin with. There's, there's like 10 Halloweens, there's 10 Friday the 13ths, there's, 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 six, there's six Chuckies, I saw the Chucky reboot, and it was excellent. 
they knew how to they knew how to remake Chucky and bring him to the to a new generation. Black Christmas was trying to reboot a franchise that never existed to begin with. There's three movies, all of them severely dis disjointed. They're not connected anyway. And uh, prior to the release of the 2019 one, there's only two. Uh, there's no continuity. There's no characters to to care about because Billy isn't a character like like Freddy Krueger or Chucky. So you can't you can't really you can't really keep him. And Black Christmas 2019 doesn't even have him. But I wasn't disappointed that Black Christmas 2019 doesn't have Billy because I never cared about Billy. If there was if there is a remake of Halloween without Michael Myers, then people would be upset because he's what makes the franchise good. That's why Halloween 3 season of The Witch, no one really liked it because it didn't have Michael Myers. And they thought, you know, oh, I thought it was going to be the continuation of this epic Michael Myers story. And uh, season of The Witch is okay. Black Christmas doesn't have Billy, and that's fine, because Billy isn't even a character anyone cares about. When you're listing the famous horror characters, nobody talks about Billy, because all we is his eye once through a door. And anyone who says Black Christmas is like this underrated, forgotten masterpiece or something doesn't know what they're talking about. It wasn't popular when it came out because it wasn't very good and fails at what it tries to do. It's not a it's not a good movie. It's it's so crazy. Uh, the audio for the disturbing phone calls says. Yeah, it is overrated in its cult status. But, uh, those those who overrate it in its cult status often bring up how forgotten it is and how obscure it is. Oh, no one appreciated Black Christmas when it first came out. The reason for that is it's not good. It says, The audio for the disturbing phone calls was performed by multiple actors, including... Mancuso and Bob Clark. So Bob Clark voices Billy sometimes. Other times, Billy's voiced by, voiced by other guys. Uh, which doesn't work, obviously. Mancuso says that he stood on his head during the recording sessions to compress his thorax and make his voice sound more demented. Mancuso spent only three days recording dialogue for the character, later recalling the experience as being very avant-garde, with Clark asking him to improvise with the character's voice. What a waste of time and effort. This guy stood on his head for three days because he thought it would make the killer sound crazier. And and Bob Clark is just like, do whatever you want, and I'll voice him sometimes, and we'll all voice him. Uh, and that doesn't work because it creates inconsistency. Because sometimes the killer sounds one way, and sometimes he sounds another way. And however he sounds, he never sounds like the boyfriend who who's caught at the end. Uh, I don't even know what, what the twist exactly is. Uh... 
you you can kind of either say the twist is that the killer is upstairs, which the cop says, "Oh man, the killer is upstairs," or or it could be that uh, that the boyfriend wasn't the killer, which isn't a twist because no viewer would ever think that the killer was that the boyfriend was it. Uh, but, but there's one bizarre point at which they station a police officer outside the sorority house to catch to catch whoever it is uh, if there's anything going on. And when the police sergeant or whatever, the main police guy says that uh, says that the killer is upstairs, it cuts to this shot of, of the police officer stabbed to death in the squad car. It's like this 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 rando who's been living in an attic for a month is able to overpower this armed police officer who's in a car. It's insane. Uh makes no sense. It's completely off the rails. Now it, it most of what the police do in the movie kind of makes sense. Not really. Because like, two people go missing. They don't search for for either of them. They just search for this random other victim who's in a park or something. And also, they have this, this plot contrivance whereby they can't figure out where the killer is unless uh, they stay on the phone for for a a certain amount of time. This, of course, leads to them not finding out who the killer is until the very end. It's not even hard to figure out where the killer is. They'd hear footsteps up in the attic, or his baby bunting nursery rhyme, or whatever kind of noise he's making. Uh, and eventually he'd have to sneak down for food or something. Some, there is some genuinely crazy stuff about Black Christmas. It it is it is a historically significant movie, but not in the way people say it is. It's historically significant because it's a great example of 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 a bad '70s horror movie, which is hard to come by. The '70s were a great decade for horror. So many good horror movies came out in the '70s. Uh, it's got a Blu-ray release. It's got a DVD release, a 40th anniversary panel, a new commentary track featuring Mancuso. It's just so crazy. I I I never even heard of the movie before 2018 when I when I saw it, and uh, I guess I had kind of heard of it. I kind of knew it was a ripoff of the urban legend about the upstairs guy. Uh, but it's certainly not all it's cracked up to be. The similar urban legend, again, one which deals with extraordinary circumstances, is the one about uh, she goes to sleep and she puts her hand under the bed and feels that the dog is there licking her and she feels safe. And then she wakes up in the morning and then written in blood on the mirror and the dog is killed in the bathtub or whatever she sees. Humans can lick hands, too. Yeah, but a, a dog's mouth doesn't feel anything like a human's mouth. Uh, 
be able to feel the nose and everything. A lot of urban legends deal with oblivious people not or in some in some way deprived of their senses. That's how you've got to have an urban legend payoff. You've got to have characters who who just their eyes don't work or something. Like the moron who thinks a chihuahua's a rat. Uh, chihuahuas don't look like rats, and that urban legend is very racist, so it surprises me whenever it's referenced. It's like, saying the Mexicans will sell you a rat and pretend like it's a chihuahua, and if a rat is so well-behaved and polite that it can trick someone into thinking it's a chihuahua for however long amount of time, Odds are it's a pretty polite rat, and it's not that bad that you got a rat. Plenty of people have rats as pets, so long as they're clean and and well-behaved. It's perfectly an okay pet. You know, not any worse than a chihuahua. But that's... A lot of urban legends depend on the characters being extremely stupid. And I guess not having eyes or a sense of touch or something. And the same goes for Black Christmas, where there's two decomposing corpses in the attic, and a killer has been up there for a month, and nobody notices anything, and in the end, it's away scot-free. It's not enigmatic, it's not mysterious, it's just bad writing. It's just writing that doesn't make any sense. Uh, it's a college campus, you know... Uh, Halloween set in, Halloween set in, you know, the suburbs and whatnot. That's not very organized, but a college campus, like, we're talking, we're talking an incredibly organized and composed setting. Competent film. I saw Krampus. Krampus is pretty good. It was surprisingly good. I didn't think Krampus would be so good, but it was actually pretty good. Uh, you brought up Arthur Christmas. So explain why Arthur Christmas is such a such an underrated classic. Well, it just it brings the warm fuzzies. You know, you got these characters. They're all uh, they're all fantastic, say. Uh, you got Grand Santa, the old Santa. You got Malcolm, the current Santa, and you got Steve, the successor, the would-be successor to Santa, who's the um, you know he's technologically obsessed. The old Santa is like obsessed with traditional ways. The current Santa just wants to be loved. And Arthur, the bumbling son, he just uh, wants children to be happy. And so there's this. Um, this conflict about okay, which way do we be Santa? How do we deliver the presents? There's a there's an adventure they go on. You know, uh, Arthur and Grand Santa try to deliver a bicycle to a girl who fell through the cracks of the system. She didn't get her present. Uh, it's a hilarious journey, and in the end, there it's a has a heartwarming Christmas message. You know that. Really, it's not. I remember seeing the the trailer for that in theaters when it came out. Ten years ago, I, I blocked it from my memory. I was eight when it came out, and uh, I gotta say, the my memories of it were not exaggerated. It was, it was, it was. It looked bad. 
character designs are so nightmarish. I didn't think they were that bad. It was only the elves in one scene that I lo thought looked kind of creepy and dead-eyed. It's because Nick Perk knows how to do claymation. Like, Wallace is adorable, you know? He's this adorable little little round guy with the cute ears and the nice nice teeth, and he has the nice the nice eyes. You know, Wallace and Gromit look great. Then you got Arthur Christmas. Everyone is hyper-realistic. All their hair is so well-developed, and it's so creepy. And one of the Santas is Hugh Laurie. And I think Arthur Christmas kind of takes a nod from little Nicky, where it's explained that Psycho isn't one, uh, that uh, Satan isn't one entity. There's multiple Satans. There's Harvey Keitel, the normal Satan. There's his three sons. And then there's Rodney Dangerfield's uh, Grandpa Lucifer, who's the old Satan. I never thought of it that way. That's an actual... Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty much the same, but with Santas instead. This time there's four different Santas instead of just one Santa. I'd say yeah. Arthur Christmas has as convoluted a Christmas mythology as something like the Santa Claus. Or you you take this very simple basic story about this immortal omniscient uh, a sled, and you say, well, "What if there was more than one? Or what if when you put on his clothes, you become him?" And then Martin Martin Short plays Jack Frost in the Santa Claus Three. Well, well, look, there are a lot of uh, movies about Santa Claus. Some people just like to play around with the lore of Santa Claus, okay? like Some people like to play around with the lore, and some people go full-on insane with it. The Santa Claus is a good example of yeah, Arthur Christmas that made the Santa mythology overly complicated. And, it's it's you know, not complicated. It itself uh, says the Santa Claus. So we're talking a very bureaucratic, boring drawn-out Santa mythology being displayed on the screen. There's there's two sequels. There's a Santa Claus 2, and then there's the Santa Claus 3, the Escape Clause. I thought there were more. I thought, like, Spy Kids, there was a fourth one. Uh, pretty soon, there's got to be a continuation of the franchise or something. Yeah, probably. There's got to be some kind of reboot, I bet, someday. Santa Claus 3, plays Jack Frost. It's so crazy. There's so much convoluted stuff in the Santa Claus franchise, and the same goes for Arthur Christmas. Arthur Christmas is not convoluted. It's just, you know... Well, it is. Santa. It says that there's four different Santas... Oh, and one Santa, one Santa retires after 70 years, and then his son takes over. It's like passing of the torch. That's simple. It's not like... They Santa. die. Well, yeah, they, they die eventually, but they live to be like 150 first. Yeah, but they do die, which kind of ruins the whole... In, in Little Nicky, it, it's, it's, it's supposed that, you know, even though the Satans kind of pass the torch, they're, they're still eternal, which makes sense. They're demons. They're demons. Uh, in in Arthur Christmas, the Santas the Santas die. Well, in Arthur Christmas, Santa Claus is an actual descendant of the historical Saint Nicholas, who did die in real life. Yeah, but the idea is that he didn't die and he became Santa. 
which is what makes sense. That's that's the generally accepted Santa mythology is that they're just the same guy and he's a thousand or something years old. Well, this is just a little different. I don't see what's wrong with saying Santa is like a title passed from father to son. They're still carrying on the legacy of Santa Claus. Because they have such different visions about how the presence should operate. And how, how? why does San even gotta use computers? Or he can use computers, can do whatever he wants, so long as the presents get delivered. But if he has this magic sleigh that can deliver hundreds of billions of presents in, in one night, and all these reindeer, which in Arthur Christmas there is the sled, why does he need the giant flying saucer? It's not well, even efficient, it because it's all powered by magic. So, you know. Uh, it is more efficient. That's his brother Steve is saying it's more efficient in delivering the presents that the magic sleigh is because the sleigh is magic, so it can't get yeah. much more efficient than magic. It's like limited magic it's, li here. it's limited magic though. It just it has magic in that it flies, but it's still like one guy being pulled by reindeer delivering all the presents. He, so Santa has some limits. Well then and how does he do it all in one night? Because the poster says, it, it explains how, this is the big gimmick, two billion presents are delivered in one night. And the answer is with this fancy advanced flying saucer. Before he got the flying saucer, they had to use the sleigh, which is just one guy, and it flies. So the whole movie... Mike's clicking a little bit. How? Mike's clicking. It doesn't answer the question, how did they deliver all the presents in one well, night before they used the giant like saucer? Well, the population was a lot lower back then when they did use It was still site. over a billion. Yeah, but he, it was it was a struggle. Now it's just a lot easier because now they have technology to sort it out. The old Santa, he actually... Uh, he had to push through. If he had a heart attack in the sleigh, or if he was being shot at during World War II, well, he just pushed through. And now uh, the grandson, Steve, is saying that's no longer efficient. It's just a relic of the past. It's old. It's tired. It's it does sound pretty inefficient. Especially if he gets shot, and there's and, and he does, he's not magically immortal or anything. Well, they're still somewhat immortal. They live to be like 150. I don't know. Maybe it's like... But I mean, if he's flying through World War II, he gets shot. He, he'd just die. Yeah, that's why that's they, they pass it on to their children. Like a king. Yeah. And it makes more sense than the Santa Claus, where the title of Santa is just given to whoever's around when Santa dies, even if they don't want to be Santa. But, uh... But Arthur Christmas was a real disaster. I remember it coming out. And I thought, oh man, Nick Park, who's done such great, you know, Chicken Run and, and, uh, you're, a, you're, calling it a disaster. you're calling it a disaster, even though you haven't seen it. You're just judging it by a ton of money. I, I know, I know that, but that's because it was marketed toward toddlers. And of course, they're going to go see it. It's, it's the only Christmas movie of the year. I recall the very cringy posters. That's the other thing I remember, Ben. 
there were these posters all around and uh, all, all over the theater, and they were just the most cringe stuff. I think the animation looks fine. The only thing that was even remotely creepy, I thought, was one scene where you have like a thousand elves standing shoulder to shoulder, all dead-eyed. That was the only thing I thought was remotely creepy, but otherwise... Art can't can do that. They're used to doing clay. So they partner with Sony Animation. They're like, we'll do the first ever Ardman's computer animated movie. And it didn't work because that's not their thing. Even Pixar movies look bad sometimes. DreamWorks movies look bad with character design sometimes. Claymation is a superior medium because you don't have to make your characters look hyper-realistic. Wallace from Wallace and Gromit looks way better than this Hugh Laurie nightmare. I'm telling you, the animation's fine. When What flaws it has is held up by the story. No, what flaws it has is the animation. The story is past. The story yeah. would actually be kind of nice and fun if it was claymation, which is what Ardman does good. But the the character design, like this weird tree-shaped beard Hugh Laurie Santa's got going on here, doesn't work. Because Ardman does claymation. Where you got the big eyes and the crazy mouths. And, try, and them trying to make these realistic-looking people doesn't work, because that's not what they're good at. Uh, well, at least it's not the Polar Express. That's all I have to say. Heck, with the Polar Express, they try and make them look... I don't know. I, I guess the Polar Express is worse, but Arthur Christmas is not that far behind. I think Arthur Christmas needs to be remembered more as a kind of successor of that. I feel after the release of the Polar Express, they're like, well, we'll dial the realisticness factor back a little. But it didn't work, because it's Aardman, and they're good at claymation. And then one year later, they came out with the Pirates movie, which is one of the best, coolest claymation movies. It was so good. It was so good. It's an Aardman renaissance. But Arthur Christmas is the is the dark ages proverbially of Ardman, the same way Disney had a renaissance. The pirates were Ardman's renaissance. And Arthur Christmas was their garbage attempt at trying to partner with Sony and make this crazy advanced, super ambitious, hyper realistic thing. And they got these cringe posters. All cane, no candy, sled honcho Rap well, they, star, lost the cause. The people who make the movie are in charge of the posters. Yeah, whoever made these posters had no idea what they were doing. Snow it all. Uh, that's a cringe poster. You gotta make a likable poster, and uh, more often than that, variant posters will be pretty lame. They really try hard. And uh, recently, Sherlock Gnomes came out. And it has a bunch of variant posters. It has a hundred, Sherlock Gnomes does. And you look at uh, this poster, and you see it. It's like, you know, white background, the character in the middle, and then a cringe, a cringy line uh, at the top. This is a poster for Sherlock Gnomes. Looking tough, because she's ceramic, right? 
if you see these two posters, they have the exact same deal going on. I, th I think Arthur Christmas kind of started the trend of these cringe, generic variant posters with the stupid puns on them. So similar. And uh, 10 years apart, pretty crazy to think about. Sherlock Gnomes, of course, is an absolute animated disaster. Thank gosh, Hardman's back on its feet, because, uh, you know, they do some good stuff. I'm telling you, you're underestimating Arthur Christmas. It's great. I, it's one of those very few movies I watch every year. It's very flashy. It, 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 it I, I'd say for something put out in 2010, it, it's something that uh, I wouldn't, I, I'd say the animation looks uh, fancy. I wouldn't say the animation looks good. I'd say it's technologically ambitious. I think that I like the story. I just think it's I a lot of. I wouldn't be surprised oh. if it came out in 2020. It looks like a movie that, tech, technologically wise, uh, it, it looks like the kind of, the kind of CGI try-hard movie that they try and put out every single Funny year. Is in the story. Not always on Christmas, but every single year there's one movie done with CGI that they say, "Oh man, this is the most revolutionary shiz." It's going to be, you know, first it was Avatar, then they got Beowulf, they got uh, all that. And and the fact of the matter is, never looks good. It never looks as good as Claymation. I'm trying to tell you the strength in Arthur Christmas is in the story. It's a lot of fun, and it right. gives you a lot of emotion. The problem comes when, when you take the, the character design and animation into account. That's what actually okay. matters. The story animation. isn't that animation. bad. The story is... Based on a premise that the movie itself doesn't answer, and and the premise is just how does Santa deliver all the presents with computers? It's about. it's about it's about the the battle between tradition and technology, and what's really important is how, is not how you do it, but that you do it. So what's the point of the movie? What's the point in in having these two competing types of Santas? If neither of them are right, and and both methods work equally well, and they don't work equally well, they they show the strength and flaws of both of them. They show the flaws in the traditional way of doing it, and they show the flaws in the tech tech savvy way of doing it. I things. really don't think there's any flaws in the giant flying saucer. That seems like the most efficient system. Uh, how about the fact that, the fact that a little girl doesn't get her bicycle because there's a crack in the system? That's one uh, out of two billion. I think it, it'd it'd be very uh, it'd be very stupid to assume that Santa can Santa doesn't make mistakes, especially considering in this convoluted universe you've got four Santas all competing with their different ideas. I mean, it's inevitable that with such a, a, a an unorganized system, one or two oh, kids aren't going to get their present. No, it is organized, but they make a mistake, and that's the point. They try. Arthur wants to remedy it because no child should be without their present. So they use the sleigh like a, like someone would use a, a backup delivery truck that's been gathering dust in the garage for fifty years. Sure, in a matter of speaking, but it's, the point is, it, it leads them to a flying saucer, and they'd be done with it in like fifteen seconds. Yeah, but first of all, Steve doesn't want to do it because he's stuck up his own ass, and Grand Santa wants to do the sleigh because he wants to prove that the old ways are better, and so he... So uh, why doesn't Arthur just 
say, screw you, Grand Santa, I'm going to hop on the saucer and be done with this in like 30 minutes. I mean, especially oh, considering that this flying saucer delivered every single present except this one bike. Well, and that's pretty impressive. Steve, because Steve does one, Steve doesn't want to use the saucer, and two, Arthur's very impressionable, and he's uh, Grand Santa pretty much tricks him into using the sleigh. He's like, oh, yeah, Steve says, there's no way of doing it. Grand Santa says, oh, yes, this is this is the way we're going to do it. You know, no, no child left behind. And so, uh, Grant said that they just used his sleigh as a last resort. Yeah, they sneak out while, like, Steve and uh, the current Santa are, are asleep. Why doesn't Arthur just say, Hey, I'm going to use the flying saucer for 30 minutes. Be back in a sec. Arthur doesn't know how to fly it, and Arthur is just kind of like a... He's very impressionable pushover. He just wants to do it, and he's he's a... He's captivated by Grand Santa. He thinks, oh, yeah, Grand Santa, he really cares. You know, the normal Santa's just like, screw this one delivery, even though even though this flying saucer is really fast, and it's one present. Well, Steve talks him into, like, not worrying about it. He's basically you. He says, oh, it's just one kid. We have, a, like, a point zero 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 one percent inefficiency and that's a reasonable stance to take i mean santa isn't perfect you know it's not god uh maybe the moral of the movie would be a little more heartwarming and, and and meaningful if it if it was about how santa makes mistakes sometimes because he's not perfect they do they make a bunch of mistakes in this movie no one's no one's uh completely blameless in all this yeah, but how do they, like, how is the user interface for this flying saucer so hard to operate? I guess uh, Arthur is kind of stupid. He's kind of a stupid main character. Are you saying a character stupid because he doesn't know how to work a flying saucer, like the most technological advanced machine in the world? Well, I mean, it is a flying saucer, but it's his family's flying saucer. You'd think they'd have shown him how to how to use it, considering. No, you know, because Arthur's a screw up. They don't show him anything. He's just he sits in the office reading kids' letters. That's why he cares so much. That's why he wants to deliver the present to a little girl. To him, every child matters. Such a that's such a crazy take on Santa. But uh, I don't know. I just think the the idea of Slave versus flying saucer. The answer is obviously the flying saucer. It's more efficient. There's nothing wrong with Santa using computers. He gets to use them if he wants. He has to deliver two billion presents. It's easier to do it if you got a spreadsheet. Yeah, they don't say that either one's right or wrong. They just say that, you know, there was a crack in the system. This one girl got left out. And Arthur believed that they should remedy that instead of his brother, who's just all, oh, well, who cares? It doesn't matter. I like my system. It's great. Let's just go to bed. I'll deliver Seems the like present. an efficient system, considering the other system is a sleigh that you can get shot on, you can have a heart attack on. It's not magic. It's not crazy fast or crazy uh, special or anything. It's just one sleigh. That does seem like, it does seem like the flying saucer is a more efficient system in every aspect. Yeah, you could argue that, but the point isn't which is more efficient. The fact is, 
all the characters are too focused on the how when they don't care about the bottom line, which is making children happy. That's what Arthur focuses on. He wants to he wants the girl to get her bicycle and be happy on Christmas morning. Doesn't matter how, he doesn't care, he just wants it to happen. Hmm. I don't know, he seems kind of like an obsessive. I mean, he like the story would probably be really cool if it was claymation. Like if it was claymation, it might even I might even enjoy it. But like, I mean, you don't you don't have to like it. I'm just I'd like it if the character designs were more appealing. Because the main thing in a, in a in a in an animated film is you got to have appealing character designs. I I don't care how. How great the story is if all the characters are these nightmarish abominations. Well, I think they're fine, but I guess we'll just have to agree to disagree. I remember uh, Flushed Away. It's a weird movie. And it's not good. It doesn't look good. It doesn't hold up. They try and make it look like how, you know, all the other Erdman movies look, all the other Erdman line. It doesn't look good because what Ardman does the best is claymation. They they don't they don't they're not good in any other department. Remember flushed away guy. Hey, while we still have half an hour, you want to talk about Jingle All the Way? Oh right, the Arnold Schwarzenegger film with Sinbad, which is a funny movie. It's it's great. It's a Christmas classic, and you and you claim you claim that. Uh, Arthur Christmas is better than Jingle All the Way. Uh, how is that? Uh, well, first of all, I think Arthur Christmas has a lot of funny scenes, but also I think Arthur Christmas really taps into like the warm fuzzies of Christmas, whereas Jingle All the Way is mostly just a goofy laugh riot, which is fine. That's what it intends to do, but uh, I just I just like Arthur Christmas better. Like. Jingle All the Way has an original concept, which is that, you know, it's trying to get this one toy is crazy. It's kind of like planes, trains, and automobiles, but with the toy. And, uh, you know, I don't think there's a movie before Jingle All the Way it was so much about holiday-type consumerism and how crazy and wild it was. I think Jingle All the Way is a very identifiable movie for a lot of people who go to Black Friday sales and deal with the rush. I don't think too many other movies fall, tap into that department. I think Jingle All the Way is a historically uh, and technologically significant film. Yeah, you might say it's like a satire of the consumerism of Christmas. Right. That's, that's yeah. what it is. It has it has a much more well defined premise, uh, and and right from the outset, you know what Jingle All the Way is supposed to be about. I don't know what Arthur Christmas is supposed to be about, because you got all these different competing interests, all trying trying to prove a point for different Santas. All the Way is a much more directed movie. It has a has a purpose uh, from the outset. The conflict. Mike's clicking again. Get his turbo. That's what the movie is set up to be about. Arthur Christmas is too disjointed in the premise. I can understand why people don't like Jingle All the Way too, uh, but Jingle All the Way, the first one, 
is really good. Uh, I think it's kind of corny. Well, it, it, it's corny in the same way something like Dumb and Dumber or Kingpin is corny. 90s comedies, more often than not, are pretty good. Even if even if the jokes are kind of, oh, you know, I mean, Dumb and Dumber as the only funny pooping scene I've ever seen. That's because the Ferrelli brothers are competent. And Jingle All the Way is also a very competent movie. Uh, you don't think it's kind of silly that Arnold Schwarzenegger gets a working jetpack at a crummy local town parade and just flies around? Why, why just because it's a local parade wouldn't they have a jetpack? A parade like that, like a cheap local town parade, they wouldn't have a jetpack that not even NASA has perfected yet. Not even, like, SpaceX has perfected technology like that. But this this local, cheap, crummy town parade that can only get, like, three balloons, yeah, they have the most advanced jetpack in the world for this, like, float performance. That's, that's weird. That doesn't make any sense. It's funny, but I'm just saying it's, it's kind of dumb. It's not that dumb. I mean, jetpacks jetpacks make you fly. So I think I think Schwarzenegger fly. He's a big guy, but I can imagine a jetpack having him fly. You know. But why would they have something like this? Well, <laughs> it's the same way how, like in trains, planes, and automobiles, uh, the car that Neil and Delarin manages to zoom right through two on. It's implausible, but. It's what makes the movie fun and interesting. Crazy that's a little, setups, you know. That, that wouldn't happen in reality. Neil and Dell would be crushed and they die. But uh, in the movie, they survive it, and then their car sets on fire. Yeah, stuff like that's a little more grounded in its absurdity. This just—I mean, not really. If 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 you're in a, you know, a car, there's two eighteen wheelers coming at you. The odds are very low that you would manage to slide right between them just enough so that the doors have a little sparks and nothing else, and you'd get through completely unscathed. The semis would drive away, and you'd be fine and get out of there okay. That's that's incredibly implausible, but it works because it's a movie. Okay, so you're, you're adhering to the rule of funny that doesn't matter how ridiculous and plausible is as long as it's funny well it's possible but it's highly implausible the same as the jetpack the jetpack is possible jetpacks exist i've seen them work in oliver tree's new music video cash machine he takes a jetpack he flies that sucker over a lake he flies you know jetpacks are possible they're they're feasible technology so i, I don't find it very unlikely that schwarzenegger would uh, where does it take place? Minneapolis? That's not a tiny little town, you know. They're, they're a big city. I can imagine them having some tech, you know, for their for their holiday parade. They're not going to skimp on it. I don't know. I think a more grounded but ridiculous premise is when he punches the dwarf and it goes across the room. That's absurd. That defies the laws of physics, but it, it's like it's more grounded absurdity could happen because Arnold Schwarzenegger is big and strong but uh I don't see why like if it was said like Tulsa or something some tiny little little area it was set in you know some tiny town with a population of 
10,000, it might be implausible that they have a jetpack, but it's, it's Minneapolis, you know, it's not, it's not a, uh, what's a population, Scott, it was a little different in 1996, but they got a, yeah, 382,000, that's pretty decent, that's about half what Denver's got, I can imagine a city like that having some, having some, uh, Having some air packs, you know, some jet packs. I don't know. It seems. I don't think that's too implausible. I think it's about as implausible as 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 the part in trains, planes, where where they drive through the trucks. You know that that's also implausible. That that would not that would not happen. They'd be dead. But but it works because it's a movie, and you understand that. You know, the writers can write in whatever whatever is is funny and ideally a good comedy deals with premises that are highly unlikely ultimately possible oh like like home alone that movie has so right. many like things go wrong just for the kid to be left so home many alone. things so many things go wrong the the power fails the clocks don't work and uh yeah home alone home alone is a good example of a good comedy where things go wrong but the but the plot ultimately makes sense. It 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 falls into place. Everything everything is a logical progression of events, and it's the same with Jingle All the Way, uh, which in many ways is similar to Planes and Trains, but not really because it had you know it, it's set at Christmas and it's more about consumerism than than friendship and. Uh, I don't know. That works as a like a satire of the holidays, but yeah. And rather than being friends, Sinbad and, and Arnold are are competing, and uh, and also, of course, Jingle All the Way is set in a much smaller area. But but Jingle All the Way is absolutely a, an innovative movie with an interesting premise that, prior to it coming out, hadn't been done before. There was no movie about. Uh, crazy, crazy holiday shopping experience before Jingle All the Way. It was, it was. Yeah, you know what? I think you know. Next year, I think I'll rewatch it. I maybe the problem was in retrospect, you might think it's better than you thought was, because a lot of '90s comedies do get a lot of flack. In retrospect, they're a lot better than the comedies that come out nowadays, like Jingle All the Way Two. Yeah. A shameless cash grab, and not anywhere close to as good as Jingle All the Way One. The Jingle All the Way Two is unabashed garbage, but Jingle All the Way One is a classic. Everyone likes Sinbad. Everyone likes Arnold. And ultimately, the fact that there's a jetpack in Minneapolis isn't that crazy. I think the problem was I watched it as a kid, and I didn't really appreciate the consumerism satire. Right. In retrospect, a lot of 90s comedies that appeared like, you know, trash when they first came out, in retrospect, are actually pretty good. Uh, a good example would be something like a, a lot of the Adam Sandler films. The Waterboy was, was not considered that great when it came out. But now there's no Adam Sandler comedies, and uh, so in retrospect, all the Adam Sandler comedies are pretty funny. You know, uh, Jingle All the Way actually is getting more popular these days, so maybe it time... It deserves it. It's a good movie. 
and it, it, it was it was ahead of its time. 1996, Black Christmas was Black Black Friday was a new concept. Uh, I I wouldn't be surprised if it took until 2006 to come out with a movie about holiday consumerism. But Schwarzenegger is there right at the bat. Brian Levin to make a comment on you know just a crazy rush of holiday shop and trying to get that turbo man yeah so, so you might you might say people are appreciating it more now with time they do and it does warrant that i don't think arthur christmas will ever be seen as is a kind of uh, i don't think it'll ever be a sleeper hit i think arthur christmas is destined for man in 2010 because it's a very 2010s type movie the animation's ambitious. The premise is kind of, sort of original. It's, it is, as I said, the same as Little Nicky, pretty much. But and and the the premise doesn't really work because the the question posed is never answered. And when it does give an answer with computers, it's the most it's the most likely premise anyone would think of. There's nothing wrong with Santa using computers. He can use computers if he wants. He's got to keep track of two billion presents. I'd say the fact that Arthur Christmas ultimately can't can't decide on whether the Slayer, the flying saucer, is more efficient or better is ultimately just uh, ultimately just shows the movie doesn't know what it's trying to say. I'm trying to tell you that correct, and nobody's wrong, and everyone wins in the end because both systems are equally efficient, even though they're obviously not. I'm trying to explain to you the how wasn't the the point. The point was, you know, the the why they do it. Well, I think the how is kind of the point. The premise of the movie, which is on all the posters, is how how does you how do you deliver two billion presents in one night? So that's not what it goal of the movie is to determine which is more efficient, the Slayer or the UFO. No, the goal, of the, the goal of the, the movie UFO. is they learn that it doesn't matter as long as every child gets their present. They need to quit focusing so much on, you know, their ways of doing things. Well, obviously every child isn't going to get their present if they use the sleigh that isn't even magic beyond flying. Uh, that'll result in way less children getting their presents. Uh, it's not even super fast or anything. The The yeah. movie raises more questions than it answers, like, how'd Santa do it before the UFO? It's not just that there was a lower population. There's still billions of, of people to, you know, give the presents to. And you got you got plenty of countries. Like, there's like 50 variations of Santa out there, 50 regional variations have you ever seen the the movie Noel about no. a woman Santa? Well, that uh, that took a more hacky approach, like uh, technology bad. Now Santa can't use technology, but at the same time, it wanted to be progressive, like, oh yeah, we can have a woman Santa. Why, you know, why just adhere rigidly to tradition? So that was a confused movie. Well, I, I I'd say Arthur Christmas is. Is like that because because you can't decide. At least Noel decides which is better. 
I'd say I'd say if a film poses a question, which is better, the high tech approach or the low tech approach, and it answers it, uh, that works fine. The trouble is when it can't reach a solid conclusion about which is better, even though in Arthur Christmas, obviously the flying saucer is more efficient. I try to explain to you it it's not important about which is better. Right, it's just like everyone wins and everyone is right and nobody's wrong and everything is fine in the end because it's all, they they grow as the Santa family and they learn that what the the real magic was inside them all along. But you know, that's not that's that doesn't answer how do you deliver two billion presents in one night or whatever. The idea of a high tech Santa is kind of interesting. Most recently, of course, with little Nas X's music video where he's Robo Santa in the future and uh admittedly that that has animation about as impressive as Arthur Christmas it looks really dumb but uh, I would say that uh Jingle All the Way is, is a good a good solid Christmas it is it is a classic it is it knows what it's trying to do does what it sets out to accomplish and uh Noel. Yeah, there's is you know some kind of cheapo Disney type movie. It's got Bill Hader. What a what a shame. He's using some good stuff, but I didn't really care for it that much. I mean, uh, he's in good stuff. He was in Trainwreck, which isn't good, but he's in uh, he's in some he's in some solid stuff. He's in Hot Rod. Hot Rod is an excellent film. You know, Noel just looks like one of those, one of those off off brand, you know, you know, uh, dime a dozen Christmas movies like Hallmark, except on Disney Plus. Whereas Arthur Christmas is an Ardman release, so its failure is a lot more spectacular because Ardman is known for some good stuff, Chicken Run and and Shaun the Sheep and all that. Yeah, you know. high high quality claymation. That's what. It's nothing amazing for Disney Plus to put out some hot garbage. You know, they're not they're not Ardman, they're Disney Plus. Oh yeah, that movie Noel was also a bit too derivative of Will Ferrell's and Elf. It's like, hey, what if what if someone from the North Pole, you know, hung out in like the real world? You know, when that, that does sound derivative. I, I doubt Disney Plus Christmas movies are going to have any. Any very original concepts. Admittedly, this does look like a less original and exciting movie than Arthur Christmas, but that's because it's a by the books, generic Hallmark, Disney Plus type. Uh, you know, there's so many Christmas movies, but Arthur Christmas stands out among the bunch because it was put out by freaking Ardman and Sony Pictures. It was the big holiday movie that year. I remember there was posters and stuff everywhere and everyone's like man this is going to be the technological accomplishment of the century this is going to be a crazy a crazy computer animated wonder you know same as with avatar but in the end it didn't work because it, it's by Ardman. they don't even know anything about cgi rendered models first attempt flushed away they just try to make it look like all their other movies, but with CGI, and it doesn't look good. But but you know, it, they're not they're not hyper realistic rats, which uh, 
would just be off if flushed away was animated like Arthur Christmas is animated that would be that'd be crazy because uh, if Arthur Christmas was claymation it might be it might look uh yeah, it might even be a cult classic. If Arthur Christmas was claymation, people would probably still be talking about it. But I, th I think for the most part, when people mention Ardman, nobody thinks Arthur Christmas. They think Chicken Run and Wallace and Gromit. They think the Pirates. The Pirates is excellent. But uh, I think we're about to wrap this up. It's almost... Uh... It's almost the hour. Yeah, 4.55. Any final comments on a Black Christmas or anything? I thought the first one was pretty forgettable. The newer one was cringy. Yeah, the original is is pretty forgettable. It's a very it's a very generic film. And uh, I don't know what horror fans are on about, you know. The the horror fan base can be kind of kind of uh, divisive, but the amount of praise which Black Christmas has earned in recent years is truly mind-boggling. I don't think I've ever seen such an obscure film that when it came out, nobody cared. Nobody was like, this is groundbreaking stuff right here. Uh, and now everyone thinks, man, I sure missed that. That was so good. So it's uh, it's kind of like the opposite of Jingle All the Way. Right, uh, right. One is more... it's good when it came out, and it's good now, and it knows what it's doing. But in, in recent years, it's gotten a, a, a good amount of a following, and it deserves that following because it's a good movie. Black Christmas is a movie that when it came out, it was bad and poorly received. And uh, now everyone is saying, man, I sure miss it. It was it was so good. It was so epic. Yeah. But, uh, it, it was never good or epic. It was, it, it's a bad movie. And to anyone listening in, I would suggest popping in both Black Christmas 1974 and Black Christmas 2019. It's the ultimate double feature. You can see the evolution of these sorts of lame holiday slasher films over time as they develop and grow. And the 2019 one takes a departure, which no one would expect. I did not expect it going in. And, uh, just wonder how they got carryalls in there. Pretty sad. But uh, anyway, it's four fifty-seven. Interesting stuff. Black Christmas is a genuinely interesting movie. If it wasn't, I wouldn't have written an entire comic about it. In retrospect, College Buddies for the Soror Spooky Christmas Holiday is pretty good. I'll be sure to read it, like maybe next Christmas. Yeah, it's a good it's a good parody of Black Christmas. I, I, I really tear the entire film to shreds. Uh if it if I hadn't seen college if I hadn't seen Black Christmas, I probably wouldn't have written College Buddies Four and therefore College Buddies Five, both of which are excellent additions to the series. I probably would have stopped it after College Buddies Three, which in retrospect I'm glad I didn't. So it's kind of a, a happy accident I saw College Buddies Four in uh, December 2018. It was it, it was a bad movie. I went in expecting at least a competent movie, and I came out thinking, what I waste two hours on? Just to watch some women get killed, and that's it. And nothing is said about the killer, the state of the world, or anything. There's no plot. 
There's no direction. There's no pacing. There's no anything. It is absolutely crazy the, the amount of praise Black Christmas gets, considering that it ultimately did nothing. It did nothing for horror. It did nothing for Christmas movies. It's a, it's a bad movie. Anyhow, it's 5 o'clock, and uh, the recorded version should be about out in about two hours. But... Uh, Interesting Q&A. Hopefully next week we have some more fellas. Uh, I've I've posted the link to the server in quite a few spots, so some more fellas will be showing up soon. And, uh, of course, I'll be back with a new account pretty soon. But said it's uh, 59. Interesting week. Pretty spicy week. And in 2021, I got some more spicy content on the horizon, so real excited for that. Founded by corrupt Tolbarians back in 1862, but we're still corrupt as ever. So what else is new? Do you want to be honest? This all suck. Join the Nicholas Comics Discord server today. Go on a mission. You can appear in the next episode. If you want to buy Nicholas Comics, write to Nicholas K. 1424 Columbine Street, number 1, Denver, Colorado, 80206. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you on the next episode. You could live in bed. We're full of shit in California. Eating avocado toast. We're full of shit in California. Where were you think that we're the most?